The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I... I... Father, what is it? I must tell you where the treasure is. It is hidden in... No, no! Keep him out! There, at the window! What is it? That face! That face! The sign of the fall! I can still hear those words echoing in my memory, for in a sense they changed my life. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and I was privileged to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I will tell you how we first came across the sign of the four. I can see it still. Our rooms in Baker Street and Sherlock Holmes, and in such detail you will be there yourself, if I may collect my thoughts for just a moment. Bells of stagnation, Watson. Give me the most abstruse cryptogram or the most intricate analysis, and I'm in my own proper atmosphere. But I abhor the dull routine of existence. That's why I've chosen my own particular profession. Or rather, created it, for I'm the only one in the world. You're the only unofficial detective? The only unofficial consulting detective. The work itself is my highest reward. But, Watson, you've had some experience of my methods at work. I was never so struck by anything in my life. I even embodied the experience in a small brochure with the somewhat fantastic title of a Study in Scarlet. I read it. Honestly, I cannot congratulate you on it. Oh? Detection is or ought to be an exact science and should be treated in the same cold and unemotional manner. You have attempted to tinge it with romanticism which produces much the same effect as if you worked a love story into the fifth proposition of Euclid. But the romance was there. My practice has extended recently to the continent. I was consulted last week by Francois Lavilla, who, as you probably know, has come rather to the front lately in the French detective service. He's now translating my small works into French. Your work? <laughs> yes. I've been guilty of several monographs. Um, here, for example, is one upon the distinction between the ashes of the various tobaccos. In it, I enumerate 140 forms of cigar, cigarette, and pipe tobacco. 140? Here is my monograph upon the tracing of footsteps, with some remarks upon the uses of plaster of Paris as a preserver of impressions. <laughs> but I weary with my hobby. No, not at all. But you were speaking just now of observation and deduction. Surely the one, to some extent, implies the other. Well, by no means. Observation shows me that you've been to the Wigmore Street Post Office this morning. Hmm? But deduction lets me know that when there you dispatched a telegram. Oh. Observation tells me that you have a little reddish mould adhering to your instep. Now, just opposite the Wigmore Street Post Office, they've taken up the pavement and thrown up some earth which lies in such a way that it's difficult to avoid treading in it on entering. The earth is of this peculiar reddish tint, which is found, as far as I know, nowhere else in the neighborhood. Bravo. But how did you deduce the telegram? Well, of course, I knew that you'd not written a letter since I sat opposite you all the morning. I see also in your open desk there that you have a sheet of stamps and a thick bundle of postcards. 
Well, what could you go into the post office for, then, but to send a wire? Eliminate all other factors, and the one which remains must be the truth. Dear me. See, Watson, how the yellow fog swirls down the street and drifts across the dun-coloured houses? What could be more hopelessly prosaic and material? What's the use of having powers, Doctor, when one has no field upon which to exert them? Crime is commonplace, existence is commonplace, and no qualities save those which are commonplace had any function upon Earth. Uh, what is it, Mrs. Hudson? Uh, a young lady for Mr. Holmes, sir. I have no appointments. He has her card, sir. Oh, Miss Mary Morstan. I have no recollection of the name. Oh, very well. Ask her to step in, Mrs. Hudson. Very good, sir. Will you go in, please, Miss Morstan? Thank you. Pray come in, madam. It's good of you to see me, Mr. Holmes. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, Doctor? How do you do, Miss Watson? Will you take the basket chair? Oh, thank you. I've come to you, Mr. Holmes, because you once enabled my employer, Mrs. Ethel Forrester, to unravel a little domestic complication. She was much impressed by your kindness and skill. Mrs. Cecil Forrester... Oh, yes, I believe that I was of some slight service to her. Mr. Holmes, I can hardly imagine anything more strange than the situation in which I find myself. Then pray state your case. Briefly, the facts are these. My father was an officer in an Indian regiment who sent me home when I was quite a child. My mother was dead, and I had no relative in England. So I was placed in a comfortable establishment in Edinburgh. When I was 17 years of age... My father arrived in London on leave and directed me to come down at once. On reaching the Langham Hotel, I was informed that Captain Morstan had gone out the night before and had not returned. From that day to this, no word has ever been heard of my unfortunate father. The date? He disappeared on the 3rd of December, 1878. 1878. Nearly ten years ago. His luggage? There was nothing in it to suggest a clue. Had he any friends in London? Well, only one that we know of. Major Sholto of his own regiment, the 34th Bombay Infantry. Sholto. Major Sholto had retired some little time before my father came home. He lived at Upper Norwood. Upper Norwood? We communicated with him, of course... But he didn't even know that his brother officer was now in England. I see. I haven't yet described to you the most singular part. About six years ago, in 1882 to be exact, an advertisement appeared in the Times asking for the address of Miss Mary Morstan. 1882. I had just entered the family of Mrs. Cecil Forrester as governess, and by her advice... I published my address in the advertisement column. The same day, there arrived through the post a small cardboard box addressed to me. It contained a very large and lustrous pearl. Remarkable. No word of writing was enclosed. Every year since then, on the same date, there has come a box containing a similar pearl, without any clue as to the sender. You can see for yourselves. 
that they are very handsome. This is most interesting. Has anything else happened? Yes. This morning I received this letter. Thank you. Uh, The envelope too, please. Of course. Thank you. Postmark London, SW, date July 7th. Hmm. Man's thumb mark on the corner. Probably postman. Best quality paper. Envelopes at sixpence a package. Particular man in his stationery. No address. So what's it say, though, Holmes? Be at the third pillar from the left outside the Lyceum Theatre tonight at seven o'clock. If you are distrustful, bring two friends. You are a wronged woman and shall have justice. Do not bring police. If you do, all will be in vain. Signed, your unknown friend. What do you intend to do, Miss Morstan? That is exactly what I want to know, Mr. Holmes. We shall most certainly go. You and I and... Yes, Dr. Watson's the very man. We've worked together before. You're both very kind. If I'm here at six, will it do? You must not be later. No. Oh, there is one point, however. Is this handwriting the same as that upon the pearl bust addresses? Uh, I have them all here. You're certainly a model client. Let's see now. Uh, These are disguised hands. But they're undoubtedly by the same person. Well, we shall look out for you at six. Au revoir, then. Au revoir. Good afternoon. I say, what a very attractive woman. My dear Watson, it's of the first importance not to allow your judgment to be biased by personal qualities. I assure you that the most winning woman I ever knew was hanged for poisoning three little children for their insurance money. Yes, but in this case... I never make exceptions. An exception disproves the rule. Well, I'm going out now. I have a few references to look up. I shall be back in an hour. So, my dear Watson, there's no great mystery in this matter. The facts appear to admit of only one explanation. But you haven't solved it already. I've just found on consulting the backfires of the Times that Major Shalter of Upper Norwood, late 34th Bombay Infantry, died on the 28th of April, 1882. I may be very obtuse, Holmes, but I fail to see what this suggests. No? You surprise me. Captain Morstan disappears. His only acquaintance in London is Major Sholto. Four years later, Sholto dies. Within a week of his death, Captain Morstan's daughter receives a valuable present, which is repeated from year to year, and now culminates in a letter which describes her as a wronged woman. Why should the presence begin immediately after Sholto's death, unless it is that Sholto's heir knows something of the mystery and desires to make compensations? Yes, but the letter speaks of giving her justice. What justice can she have? It's too much to suppose that her father is still alive. Mm, There are certainly difficulties. But our expedition of tonight will solve them all. Ah, I think that's a four-wheeler. Yes. And, and there's Miss Morstan inside. Are you all ready? I'm ready, Holmes. (laughs) 
Yes, Major Schalter was a very particular friend of Papa's. They were in command of the convict guard on the Andaman Islands. The Andaman, then? By the way, Mr. Holmes, a curious paper was found in Papa's desk. I don't suppose it's of the slightest importance, but I thought you might care to see it. Oh, thank you. Hmm. Seems to be a plan for part of a large building. At one point, uh, here, you see, there's a small cross done in red ink. In the left-hand corner, there's a curious hieroglyphic like four crosses in a line with their arms touching. And beside that, there's written in very rough and coarse characters, the sign of the four. Jonathan Small, Mohammed Singh, Abdullah Khan, Bostakbar. Preserve it carefully, Miss Morstan. I shall. I suspect that this matter may turn out to be much deeper and more subtle than I at first supposed. This is our man. Are you the party who have come with Miss Morstan? I am Miss Morstan, and these two gentlemen are my friends. Ah, I was to ask you to give me your word, Miss, that neither of your companions is a policeman. I give you my word. Thank you, Miss. If you'll follow me, the cab goes. Oh, I lost my bearings ages ago. Wandsworth Road. I don't know how you'll do it, Holmes. Stockport Place. Cold Harbour Lane. Dear me, our quest doesn't appear to be taking us to very fashionable regions. You are coming this way, please. Your servant, Miss Morstan. Your servant, gentlemen. Pray step into my little sanctum. My name is Khadir Soto. Uh, these gentlemen... This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and this Dr. Watson. How do you do, Oh, a doctor, eh? I'm a great sufferer and I've long had suspicions as to my mitral valve. Had your father, Miss Morstan, refrained from throwing strain upon his heart, he might have been alive now. Really, sir, pray have some consideration for the lady. I knew in my heart that he was dead. Miss Morstan, I can give you every information, and what is more, I can do you justice. And I will, whatever Brother Bartholomew may say. But let us have no outsiders, no police or officials. Whatever you may choose to say, we'll go no further. Thank you. Mr. Sholto, it's getting late and I should like the interview to be as short as possible. Well, at the best, it must take some time, for we shall certainly have to go to Norwood and see Brother Bartholomew. He's very angry with me for taking the course which has seemed right to me. Norwood, then wouldn't it be as well to start at once? Well, I must prepare you by laying the facts before you. Then pray do so, sir. Uh, my father, Major John Sholto, retired from the Indian Army some 11 years ago and came to Pondicherry Lodge, Upper Norwood, with a considerable sum of money, a large collection of valuable curiosities, and a staff of native servants. My twin brother Bartholomew and I were the only children. 
I very well remember the sensation which was caused by the disappearance of Captain Morstan. We read the details in the papers, but never for an instant did we suspect that my father had the whole secret hidden in his breast. We did know, however, that some mystery overhung our father. Early in 1882, my father received a letter from India which was a great shock to him. From that day, he sickened to his death. Towards the end of April, we were informed that he wished to make a last communication to us. The only one thing which weighs upon my mind at this supreme moment is my treatment of poor Marston's orphan, Mary. At least half of the treasure should have been hers. You, my sons, will give her a fair share of the Algora treasure. Father, when we were in India, Marston and I through a remarkable chain of circumstances, came into possession of a considerable treasure and brought it over to England. And on the night of Marston's arrival, he came straight here to claim his share. We had a difference of opinion. Marston sprang out of his chair and then he suddenly pressed his hand to his side and fell backwards. I found, to my horror, that he was dead. Good God. I was still, stooping over him. When I saw my servant, Bell Chowder, in the doorway, do not fear, Saab, he said. No one need know that you have killed him. I did not kill him, said I. Mel Chowder shook his head and smiled. I heard you quarreling, Saab, said he. And I heard... And I heard... And I heard... Enough to decide me. If my own servant couldn't believe my innocence, how could I hope to make it good before twelve foolish tradesmen? in the jewelry box. And then? Well, Bell Childer and I disposed of the body that night. And within a few days, the London newspapers were full of the mysterious disappearance of Captain Boston. I... I... Father, what is it? I must tell you where the treasure is. It is hidden in... No, no! Keep him out! There, at the window! What is it? That face! That face! The sign of the fall! Can you describe the face of the window, Mr. Shalter? Uh, bearded, hairy, with cruel eyes, and an expression of concentrated evil. When we returned from the window, we found that my father's pulse had ceased to beat. In the morning, we found his window open, his cupboards and boxes rifled, and on his chest there was fixed a torn piece of paper with the words, The Sign of the Fall. Ah, Sign of the Fall. And the treasure? 
For weeks and months, my brother and I dug in every part of the garden. Oh, it was maddening to think that the hiding place was on my father's lips at the very moment he died. To this day, I have seen only one piece of it. That little chaplet over there. This? Yes, Doctor. Some of the pearls are missing from it. Well, after my father's death, I persuaded Bartholomew to let me find out Miss Marston's address and send her a detached pearl at intervals so that at least we might make part of the restitution my father had wished. That was a kindly thought, Mr. Shalter. Oh, not at all. We were your trustees. Well, that was the view I took of it. Though Bartholomew could not altogether see it in that light... So I left Pondicherry Lodge. And may I ask now, Mr. Shalter, exactly why you brought us here this evening? Because yesterday I learned that the treasure had been discovered. Discovered? It only remains for us to drive to Norwood and demand that Brother Bartholomew give us our share. I explained my views to him last night, so we should be expected, if not very welcome. Mr. Shalter, you have done well. We had best put the matter through without delay. Uh, very well, Mr. Holmes. A cab will be waiting outside. How did your brother find the treasure? Oh, Bartholomew was a clever fellow. He worked out the cubic space of the house. He found that the height of the building was 74 feet. But on adding together the heights of all the separate rooms and the spaces between, he could not bring the total to more than 70 feet. The four feet unaccounted for could only be at the top of the building. He knocked a hole in the ceiling of the highest room, and there, sure enough, the treasure chest stood in the center. He computes the value of the jewels at not less than half a million sterling. Half a million? Oh, no! Then Miss Morstan must be about the richest heiress in the country. I believe you're right, Watson. Well, let us be going. Perhaps we shall see for ourselves. Who is there? It's I, McMurdo. Sure you know my lot by this time. Oh, I. That you, Mr. Thaddeus? But who are these others with you? Well, I told my brother last night that I should bring some friends. I'm very sorry, Mr. Thaddeus. I don't know any of your friends. Oh, yes, you do, McMurdo. Any? Not... Not Mr. Sherlock Holmes. In you come, sir, in you come. You and your friends. Very sorry, Mr. Thaddeus, but Master's orders are very strict. Oh, well, come along then. We've wasted enough time. If you'll just follow me, ma'am and gents, I'll light the way up to the house with my lantern. I, I can't understand it. I distinctly told Bartholomew that we should be here. And yet there's no light in his window. I see the glint of a light in that little window beside the door. Ah, that's the housekeeper's room. That is where old Mrs. Bernstone sits. What's that? What? I was sure I could... Yes, listen. Huh? It's a woman crying. You're right, my Joe. Oh, Mr. Holmes, something seems to be amiss. Oh, will you come into the house with me, please? Certainly. I think I'm a little afraid. Nothing to fear, Miss Morstan, I assure you. Would you... Would you care to take my hand? I do... Oh, yes. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Uh, uh, better now? 
Much better. Miss Morstan, I feel I, I, I... I feel we should follow them. Oh, no, no, Mrs. Bernstone. What is the matter? Oh, oh Mr. Freddy, sir, there is something. There's something amiss with Mr. Bartholomew. My brother? He's locked himself in and won't answer me. All day I've wanted to hear from him. And so an hour ago I went, went up and peeked through the keyhole. You must go up quickly. You must go up and look for yourself. Oh, dear, oh dear. Give me your lantern, McMurdo. And you stay here with Miss Morstan. Yes, sir. Mr. Sauter, Watson, come with me quickly. And there's his room, the first door on the left. How can we see into it if there's no light in there? Well, there's, there's plenty of moonlight. Let's see. <gasps> Good heavens, something damnable. You take a look, Watson. Uh, he's, he's just sitting there with a horrible smile on his face. Looks inhuman. Oh, dear me. me. The door must come down. Right. Together, then. Hunt <coughs> again. Now, this time. Now we shall see. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. The Sign of the Four is one of the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We're presenting it in three parts. You've just heard part one. My name is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Michael Hardwick wrote the script for this BBC production from London. Of course, I look forward to the pleasure of your company again very soon for part two of The Sign of the Four. <laughs>